And uh, on that note, thank you, Sister Puri. Are you here? Is Puri here? I didn't see me. Uh, she opened up her home for Emily uh, to be here this year, and so we're really grateful for that. Uh, otherwise, you can't be a, a full-time engine, right? Because you can't work. Um, so we're grateful for all that. And uh, one more note. Uh, where's German? German, you here? Look it. I want you to recognize. Look in the back. I want you to see how how much we care about security at this church. This man took it upon himself to dress like me so that if there's ever anybody who wants to do ill will towards your pastor, my man's taking the bullet. German, thank you so much for that. I respect you, I appreciate you. Come on now, Belmont takes care of their pastors. I just got this shirt too, now I gotta burn it. So we've been in this series the last few weeks called Teach Us to Pray. And man, I have been having such a powerful uh, and exciting time with this series. And let me just remind you on that note where we're doing kind of a sub-series in conjunction with this same chapter on Wednesdays. And man, God has seriously, I know, I know we say this a lot, but I want to be very genuine with you. God has been doing some incredible things on Wednesday night. So much so that this past Wednesday, we had double and triple parking in the parking lot and we had to figure some things out, but it was a wonderful problem to have. If you have not made it a priority to come out to the prayer meeting, just try it out. Uh, I've never seen anybody regret being blessed by God in that sense, and so just try it out, and man, I, I guarantee you will have a powerful time with the Lord when you come with your whole heart in that, and so that's just on a side note, but we've been talking about, on Sundays, the Lord's Prayer, and every week we've kind of taken a snippet of the Lord's Prayer and broken it down a little bit, and so uh, last week we talked about asking God and praying for our daily bread. And I want to go back to the scripture in Luke chapter 11. I'm reading this in the New King James Version because it just sounds better that way. Uh, and let's uh, open God's word and see what it says here. It says, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread. And here's where we're going to land today. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to talk to you today about forgiveness. And this is a very difficult subject for a lot of people because forgiveness is a very difficult thing to often do and even ask for. I was thinking about this when I was a teenager. Uh, I remember I had got like my first cell phone and it was under my sister, Pastor Evelyn's name. She's the one that kind of got it because my parents would have never got me that. So she got it for me. I, I, you know, I covered the bill. I would give her a monthly thing or whatever. And I don't know if you guys remember when phones first started coming out, there were some rules that we had because of the nature of the phone bill. For example, we don't call me till after nine o'clock because I'm not trying to pay for all those minutes, right? We had a certain amount of minutes and you're like, hey, call me, at, call me later. We would send a text, call me after nine. Don't talk to me right now. But the problem with sending texts, if you guys remember, remember when we had to pay per text when it was like 10 cents a text? And that doesn't sound bad until you realize how much you would text. And then I'd get really annoyed because certain people named Mark Santos, 
would do unnecessary texts. Like I would send him a text about all the information and then I would get K. I'm like, bro, that was 10 cents unnecessary. I know it's okay. You don't have to tell me that in a text message. Well, I bring that up because at one point, I didn't realize it because I was a teenager, but I racked up a pretty heavy bill on my text message. I think it was like $300 worth of text messages. So like, oh, you act like that's a lot. You text more than that. No, they're just free. But it was a lot for me, right? And so my sister was livid. I mean, obviously, right? And she let it have it. And I've, I felt so ashamed and guilty. And I just remember writing this really long letter, apologizing to her, being very sincere. She took my phone away and all that stuff. Um, but the reason I wrote the letter wasn't just because I felt guilty, but because I felt like, man, I really hurt someone who cares about me, who went out of their way to get me this phone. I broke that trust. And the relationship was worth salvaging, if that makes sense. Now, I didn't have $300. I was a teenager. I didn't have a job. Uh, but what I did have was my sincerity and my apology. And thank God she got over it. And, and now she works for me, right? So, <laughs> but um, pay, pay your phone bill now. Um, but so, so, you know, it, it, was, it was hard to do that. Well, there is none. Yeah, there's no JV today, by the way. Sorry about that, just as a heads up. Um, so, you know, it was hard because we had just gotten into that and, and, and man, it was hard to, to write that letter. It was hard to admit I was wrong. It was hard to ask for forgiveness. But again, it's the relationship that mattered more to me than anything else. And thank God that my sister was willing to forgive me because in her mind, the relationship with me was more than the $300 that I owed her. Now, some of us are like, well, that's nice, and that's only 300 bucks. But I want you to see an illustration that Jesus gives of a debt that was much larger than $300. If you have your Bibles, the, the sermon theme is going to be found in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 through 25. This is just the beginning. We're actually going to go through this whole story bit by bit. But let me just open up with these first few verses. Verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, let me just pause there. Peter's kind of trying to show off right now. According to regular Jewish custom, they would tell you, well, you should forgive somebody about three times, and after three times, you don't need to forgive them anymore. So here, Peter's kind of trying to be, uh, you know, teacher's pet, and he's like, hey, teacher, uh, should we forgive him seven times? And he's like, you guys see what I did? And Jesus responds, interestingly enough, he says, Jesus answered, I tell you not 70 times, but 77, I'm sorry, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, again, let me preface this, because that doesn't mean we only forgive people 77 times and once you step over me that 78th time no more forgiveness okay that's not what that means Jesus is kind of giving the exaggeration he's telling them no it's not seven times it's so much more than that you continue to forgive over and over and over again and in order to illustrate that point he goes into this story he says therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants he began the settlement uh, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Now, uh, the New Living Translation kind of gives us a loose understanding when it says that he had 10,000 bags of gold. Most scholars kind of vary on what this would be worth nowadays. The, the idea is a lot. Uh, some scholars go anywhere between one to six billion dollars. 
That's how much he would have owed. So anywhere between one to six billion dollars. Now, we hear numbers, especially now you hear about billionaires and it's coming more common. And so we hear billion and we think that's a lot. But I don't know if you actually understand how much a billion is. Okay, let me help explain this to you, all right? Let's say you're trying to save $1 billion just by savings alone, and you are able to save $100 a day every day. So, $1 billion divided by $100 saved per day would be 10 million days. 10 million days divided by 365 days per year is 27,397.26 years to reach one billion. It will take a pretty long time to reach that goal. Let me give you one more. In fact, you would never get there in your lifetime, nor would your children, grandchildren, or even great-grandchildren. If you and one of your descendants per generation saved $100 every day, and each of you lived for 90 years, it would take you and 304 generations of your descendants to save $1 billion. I know we all feel really broke right now. I, I just, I feel horribly, horribly poor thinking about that. But that's how much a billion is. It's a lot. And the point of this, the reason Jesus was giving that kind of number, it would be like saying, and he owed him a kajillion dollars. Like it's just a made up word. It's just meant to uh, emphasize the insurmountable amount of money that is owed to, to point out the fact that there's no possible way this servant could have paid that debt. No way ever for 304 generations would he have been able to pay that debt. And so, even selling his family and all he owned and himself wouldn't have been enough to really pay back even a fraction of that debt. But it would have been justified according to the law and according to the king. And like that servant, we owe God an insurmountable debt because of the sin in our lives, because of the nature of who we are, because of the offenses we've caused against God in heaven, we owe a kajillion billion dollars, an insurmountable debt that no one in this room will ever be able to do to pay back. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care how many prayers you pray. I don't care if you fast the rest of your life. There is nothing you can do to earn your salvation, to earn your uh, blessing or your forgiveness. There is nothing you can do to earn it in the eyes of our Heavenly Father, in the eyes of our King and Savior. Nothing, not a one. It's the whole reason Jesus came, because only Jesus could pay your debt. You and I couldn't. All throughout the Old Testament, there were sacrifices. There were attempts to atone. Atone makes, means to pay that debt, to make right. There were attempts to atone, but it was never going to be enough. Only Jesus Christ, the spotless one, the pure one, the one who is worth that insurmountable odd, could pay that debt on your behalf and on mine. I don't know about you. I am eternally grateful that he did. There's no way we could pay it back. No man is righteous, not even one, as the Bible says, because we all fall short of the glory of God. So here's this situation. The servant is standing before the king. He has just been sentenced to be sold into slavery along with his wife, children, and everything he owns be sold. And naturally, he has a response that I think we would all have in Matthew 18, verse 26 and 27. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. 
Obviously, he wasn't going to be able to do that. But the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, listen, if somebody, if you owe somebody $5, and you're like, oh, man, hey, I owe you $5, they're like, hey, don't even worry about it. That's great. That's not bad. You owe somebody $5 billion. I remember one time I owed a buddy, or a buddy owed me $300. I helped him pay for his rent. We were young. He, he needed money. He had a family. I helped him pay for his rent. And then like a while later, like a few months passed by, he hasn't paid me back. He hasn't paid me back. And uh, I noticed that like, he's buying some stuff. And you know, you always get mad when somebody owes you money and then they buy things. You're like, well, you got money to buy that. You ain't got money to pay me back. And so I was like, bro, you know, you owe me like $300. And he goes, oh, I mean, I'm sorry. I, th I thought you said... Like, it was okay. No, I said, it's okay, pay me back. <laughs> I didn't say, it's okay, don't pay me back. Why would I say that? It's $300, we're 20, give me my money. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we kind of understand the, the whole ratio of this and how, you know, forgiving much is not much, but forgiving great has a great response to it. So there's a few things I think it's important for you and I to understand when we're talking about praying for forgiveness. Number one is this, we need to pray that God would forgive us our sins. Here's the reality. We don't earn forgiveness. We pray for it. We can't do anything, remember, to earn it, but we do have to pray for it. Now, there's a few thoughts I had with this that I want to make sure I'm clear on because a lot of times, you know, we might misunderstand. I thought I, thought I already prayed for my sins when I got saved and God forgave me of all my sins. So why do I need to continue to pray when I sin again? So the reality is when you got saved, yes, your sins were forgiven, past, present, future. You are justified before God. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price. Your sins are forgiven. But there's two aspects of this that I want to differentiate. Number one is positional forgiveness, your salvation. Okay? When the king forgave the servant's debt, it was forgiven in totality. The king didn't forgive some of the debt. He forgave all of the debt. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, it says, All the prophets testify, testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So I want to be very clear. You are forgiven. Okay, You have been washed by the blood of the lamb. You are forgiven of your sins. Now, after salvation, what happens when this servant comes back to the king and goes, yo, bro, can I borrow $100? <laughs> What's going to happen after this? And that's the thing. Your debt is clear, but after, there's something I would call relational forgiveness. Okay, so my position is fixed with God. I, I'm not going to lose my salvation today because I made a mistake. I, I'm not going to suddenly not have a place in heaven because I was mean to my wife in the morning. I wasn't. I'm just using that. Uh, you know, so I, I don't have to worry about that. And, you know, listen, as a youth pastor, there was always a young kid that would respond to the altar call. They were getting saved every week. And it didn't always bother me because it kind of it started. Everybody else would come and get saved. But... There have a point where I tell them, listen, you don't have to do this every week. You're saved, you're secure, you're good. But relational forgiveness is what happens when we sin and how it affects our relationship with God. That's what you want to make sure we pray about. You don't lose your post in heaven every time you make a mistake. But when we sin after salvation, there's the potential of a frayed relationship with God. Sin creates distance between us and God. 
So if any of my children ever offend me, ever do something to make me mad, yes, there will be an issue. I'm willing to forgive them. I'm not going to kick them out of my house because they did that. But if we have issues, if I do something to hurt my relationship with my children and I never make that right, I never try to ask for forgiveness, I never try to mend the relationship, what can happen is over time, a root of bitterness will set in, it'll start to grow, and they may leave me because we didn't rectify the relationship. When you sin, now especially as a person who has understanding, who has accepted Christ as your savior and knows what it means to sin, you feel the guilt and shame because you know better now. And sin ends up grieving the Holy Spirit whose job is to bring us conviction of sin so that we will avoid it. First John chapter one, verse eight through nine. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we ask God to forgive us our sins on a daily basis, because remember, this is a daily prayer. What we're saying is God, I don't want to allow a foothold for the enemy. I don't want to, even if it's just a little thing, I want to make sure we're in a good place. I want to make sure that our relationship is intact. I don't want to give the enemy an opportunity to creep in and start a wedge between me and you, God. Because what happens is it might be a small sin, but then that opens the door to greater sin. The Bible talks about it, right? Sin left alone grows and gives birth to death. And so it might be a little thing, right? It might be, hey, I just, I just said this thing, or I just did, you know, I just lied a little bit on my taxes. It's not a big deal. You know, everybody does it. Next thing you know, four years down the line, you're committing fraud because you're getting away with it. All procrastinators in the room know that. You get away with a little procrastination, and then you do it more and more and more and more. Well, this is what happens in the kingdom of God. We sin a little bit, lightning doesn't strike us, and we think, oh, it must be good. And then we keep on sinning, and then we keep on sinning. And next thing you know, you are so distant from God that you don't even recognize yourself anymore. This is why we check it daily. This is why we make sure that routine maintenance helps prevent major overhauls. You change your oil on a regular basis, you don't have to change your engine. And if you check your heart on a regular basis, you don't have to come to the altar repenting of years worth of distance between you and God. Does that make sense, church? So, so here he begs, right? He, he's, he begs for mercy and he's given mercy. The servant is given mercy. His debt is wiped away. You would think now as he's been humbled, as he's been given grace and mercy and love, that he would now be overwhelmingly graceful and merciful to others. But you would be wrong. Matthew 18, verse 28 through 30. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So here's the hypocrisy. He receives forgiveness of a great amount and refuses to offer forgiveness to someone else. Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. If you're taking notes, the second thing we need to remember is we need to also forgive others. As we receive forgiveness from God, we extend forgiveness to others. Here are two things I think keep us from forgiving other people. Number one, expecting them to ask for forgiveness. Listen, there are some of us in this room, you have bitterness and unforgiveness towards somebody who's not even alive anymore. They're not gonna ask you to forgive them. 
There are some who aren't in your world, who don't live in the city anymore, who you're not even on. You got, you got some of you in this room, you are still harboring unforgiveness towards a bully in seventh grade. And I'm not diminishing what that bully did to you, but that bully is long gone, moving on with their life. We don't have Jenny Jones anymore that's gonna bring them on the show so you can confront them. Only people of a certain age get that, but I love you. I was always terrified somebody would bring me on that show one day. I was like, oh, please don't take me to Jenny Jones. But I think the reason we do this is because we think since I have to ask God for forgiveness, that I can withhold forgiveness from other people until they come to me. The problem with that line of thinking is we're not God. We're not righteous. We're not pure. We are not sinless. The servant was not the king. He was equal to this other servant. He owed the king much more than what he was owed. So even though he freely received grace and forgiveness, he responds to his peer with anger, violence, and a lack of mercy. We can't hold people to the same standard God holds us to because we are not God. God, being righteous and pure, can do that to you and I. You and I can't do that to each other. It's the same way like with my children. I can reprimand my daughter or I can do things to my daughter that I don't want her to do to her sister because you're not her parent, I'm her parent. And in the same way, God can hold you to certain standards and cause you to do certain things and ask certain things of you that he doesn't want you trying to pull on somebody else because you're not God. We have to be careful with that mindset. Ephesians 4, verse 30 through 32 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We offer that because it's been offered to us. The other reason I think a lot of us don't want to forgive is because we expect payback, restitution, right? We want them to suffer first. We want them to make some sort of restitution to some sort of payback. We want them to feel worse than how they made us feel. This is a very natural but a very carnal thing. You hurt me, I want to hurt you worse. You offended me, I want you to be more offended. You owe me, now I want you to pay it back. And until we get that justice, we're not satisfied. The problem is God didn't call you to get justice, he called you to have mercy. Because here's the reality. What if God gave us justice? Or I should say his own justice. Because justice to the king was selling the man, his goods, his family into slavery. That would have been justified as far as the debt that was owed. So if we're going to hold other people and wait on justice, then the very nature that we hold others to is the very nature that God will hold us to. As the Bible says, if you don't forgive others, I won't forgive you. Right? Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 18 through 21. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Notice that. I'm not saying, and this is important to understand, just because you forgive someone doesn't mean you have to reestablish the exact same relationship. Okay, listen, there are some people in my life who have hurt me in such a way where I have forgiven them, I've let it go, I, I've let go of the debt that I feel that they owe me, but I don't trust them in that way anymore. And I'm not gonna allow them to hurt me again because they've lost that opportunity. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean I don't like them, it doesn't mean I don't have, listen, you're not even on my radar anymore. I'm indifferent to you at this point. Okay, so I'm not, understand that. When you forgive somebody, 
That doesn't always mean that you have to reestablish the relationship the same way it was. Now, in some cases it does. And if the Lord is putting that on your heart, then you work towards that. But what I love about Romans is he says, as far as it depends on you, listen, I'm going to do my part. And if you want to hold on to anger, bitterness, whatever, if you're not willing to make things right, that's between you and God. Now I did my part. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to let it go. That's, that's not my problem anymore. That's your problem now. So as far as it depends on you, try to live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, as a parent, it is my responsibility to discipline my children, not their responsibility to discipline each other. I don't want my daughter hitting my other daughter, okay? But if one of them gets out of line, Poppy will come and do it. Does that make sense? The, the, my, the oldest daughter is an oldest daughter. You know, firstborns in this place, you know what I'm talking about. You kind of take on the little, I'm the third parent in, in idea. And so you want to do the distance. So there's so many times where she's like, no, Liv, you got to da 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 And I'm like, I just told you not to do that. And you're not listening to me. But it's important to understand, we're not God. God is God. And so we don't try to do things or hold people to certain standards that not even God is holding you to anymore. Because God has given you grace and mercy, not justice. When the king heard what the servant did to his fellow servant, he took back his mercy and he gave him justice. Third point, just to give you an illustration of that, look at what justice looks like. Matthew 18, verse 31 through 34 says, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went out and told their master everything that had happened. Which, by the way, just as a note here, when you are acting that way, when you lack mercy, love, and forgiveness, other servants notice. It, it damages your testimony when you hold bitterness and anger towards people. It damages your testimony when you're petty. Other servants picked up on it. It wasn't the servant who went and told the king. It was everybody else. Don't damage your testimony and the testimony of the church because you refuse to forgive people and in your anger lash out. He says he went and told the master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, he said, you wicked servant, I canceled the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had the same mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. The truth is, we often think that by withholding forgiveness, we're somehow hurting them. The truth is, withholding forgiveness doesn't hurt them, but it does imprison you. It doesn't do anything to them. Listen, there have been people in my life, and by the way, this is my rule for me personally, and, and I always feel like this. You have no right to be angry at me if you're unwilling to tell me about it. If you got an issue with me at any point, no problem, let's talk about it. Give me an opportunity, if I messed up, and I will admit it, if I messed up, give me an opportunity to apologize and to make things right. But there are so many people who get angry at other people, never say anything, and then just hold anger and bitterness toward them forever. Well, in 1997, you said this, and say, I don't, I can't remember yesterday. You want me to remember 1997? I was like 12, I'm not gonna remember those things. But this is the important thing to understand because when you're unwilling to forgive, everybody else moves on except you. 
You're the one stuck in that wound. You're the one stuck in that time warp. And so what do we need to do? We need to pray for freedom from their debt. That's an interesting way to say that too. Freedom from their debt. You would think that debt would cause you to be locked up, but really it's their debt that's entrapping you. Holding back forgiveness only holds you back from healing, only holds you back from moving on. Now let me just say this because I think it's important to emphasize. The debt they owe you is valid. The debt they owe you is valid. The Bible said that it was 100 denarii or 100 silver coins. That's roughly equal to 100 days wages. This is not an insignificant amount. Again, with inflation, some scholars think this would have been about a million dollars that the other servant was owed. But it's almost nothing compared to the debt forgiven by his master. It was actually one six hundred thousandth of a percent of the debt owed to the master by the servant. That's what we need to help you understand. That's what we need to all understand in this room is that that person that hurt you it's valid the way you feel. It's valid that, that you're hurt, that you're in pain, that you're holding on to it. I get it, the betrayal that you experience. But in retrospect, when you realize and you understand how greatly you've been forgiven, it helps it, it makes it a little bit easier to begin the process of forgiving other people. Colossians chapter three, verse 12 through 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I don't know if I've just gotten to that age where I'm too lazy to hold bitterness against somebody else. It just takes up too much energy. It just takes a, you're robbing my peace. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but listen, uh, I'm not gonna allow you to live rent-free in my head. I, just, I gotta evict. I gotta move on. I gotta, I gotta let it go for me. It's not for you. I'm not, I'm not letting you off the hook. I'm letting me off the hook. I'm allowing the Lord to set me free. I'm allowing the Lord to move on. I'm gonna trust God. Hey, listen, we read it in Romans, right? It is mine to avenge, says the Lord. I'll repray. I'll let God handle you. God knows, you, you, you came at the Lord's anointing, get him, God. I'll let you handle that. And even if you choose to show mercy, God, I'm gonna let you handle that. If they repent and they turn their, to their wicked ways and come back to you, praise God. That's a better outcome than anything I could have ever held towards them. And here's what I've experienced. Because there have been people who have offended me, who have done things, and, and by God's grace, I've tried very good or very well to, to not lash out, not respond, and not hold on to bitterness, rage, or, or any kind of whatever. And it's happened on multiple occasions, sometimes days, weeks, sometimes years later, will it all come back around and there's not just a resolution, but there's restitution. We, we, we get back together. And relationship is restored. And sometimes they come at me like, you know, sheepish, and, I don't know, and I'm like, listen, I let that go the day after. Because fine now. Like, I'm not holding any bitterness against you. I forgot about that. That debt's clear. And again, it, it brings peace to them knowing that, you know, I didn't sit there gossiping and talking about them and spreading everything around and da 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 Even if they do that to you, listen, I'm gonna let God be the one to justify me. I'm gonna let God be the one to defend me. I'm not gonna have to defend myself. The other thing we need to understand, not just that the debt they owe you is valid, but the debt you owe God is greater. 
Matthew 6, verse 14 through 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Now, the Bible talks about this on multiple occasions. This is important to understand. God's not gonna let you off the hook when you're not willing to let somebody else off the hook. It's just not how that works. Again, I, li I like the illustration of children and mostly now because I get it. And my parents had this idea always too. They were so adamant about me and my sisters having a good relationship. And I thank God that to this day, we all have a great relationship. But as a father, I want my children to love each other. I want my children to feel connected. I want my children to resolve whatever issue they might have. There are times where they need times out from each other and we give them space, but I want them to have their, it was literally my prayer, especially when I found out that Olivia was gonna be born. And I'm like, man, I want my, my daughters to have this wonderful sisterly relationship for the rest of their life. And I remember meeting this young girl, a daughter of one of my pastor friends, and her and her sister, they're both in their 20s. They had such a beautiful relationship. And I just asked them, like, hey, did you guys ever get into fights? And she looked at me like, no. She's my best friend. And I'm like, I want that for my girls. And as we were walking away, she was like, Pastor Joey, can I pray for your daughters? And I'm like, ooh, God's going to listen to that girl. Yes, please. And, and listen, to this day, I, I know they're only three and a year and a half. They love each other. And when, even when they get into it, they hug each other and they're there for each other. And again, as a parent, when parents in this room, you're getting what I'm saying? Well, don't you think our Heavenly Father feels the same way? Because he died for you and that individual that offended you. He went through it all so that his children could, think about it, his last prayer was a prayer of unity. Like all he wanted was for us to be together. So here's an important thing to remember. Kent Crockett once said, we base our forgiveness on what God has done for us, not on what another person has done to us. Your forgiveness is based on what God has done for you, not on what someone else has done to you. If you can hold to that, it makes things a little bit easier. Worship team, if you can help me out. Or Pastor Jason, you could just be you. I wanna make sure I wrap this up with this idea and this thought. I don't wanna minimize the hurt you've experienced by someone else. I don't want you to feel like I'm dismissive of what you've gone through. The abuse, the betrayal, the trauma that many of you have had to endure is valid. And just if for nothing else, even if you don't hear from that individual, I am so sorry that you went through that. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that trauma that you had to go through. For some of you, it happened at a very young age and it's never left you. It may not be on the front of your mind, but it's been buried in your heart and it's caused a root of bitterness, a root of anger, a root of frustration. A lot of the issues that you're having now have manifested from an unchecked wound then. This is why we pray. Because asking God for forgiveness and forgiving others is one of the hardest things to do in my opinion. But it's also one of the most powerful acts we could ever perform. To allow someone to forgive you and to ask someone for forgiveness and to forgive someone else is so incredibly powerful and freeing. It's why we need to pray. There's a story I've often told because it was just fascinating to me. 
my wife is a big fan of true crimes and things like that. And uh, I remember watching a documentary one time on one of the most prolific serial killers that the United States had ever seen. It was a man in uh, the Northwest. He was known as the Green River Killer. And on record, so far from what we know, he has one of the highest kill counts. People that over the years, he tragically took the life of. It was mostly women, mostly hitchhikers and prostitutes on the Northwest side over a span of about 20 years. He was convicted for 67 murders. That's all they were able to attach to him. The actual number they believe is somewhere in the upper hundreds or 120, something like that. Ridiculously evil. I can't even begin to understand the demonic oppression and power that would take over an individual to be that sick, twisted, and demented. He cut a deal, though, with the police to get the death penalty off the table, and he is now currently serving life forever, and he will rot in jail for the rest of his life. The deal was on the contingency that he would tell them uh, where some of the remains of the people they know he killed were, and part of that deal is on his day of sentencing, they were gonna allow the families of the victims to come to the court and speak their peace to him. And there's an actual live recording of this. You can look it up if you ever wanna see it. But in that courtroom, person after person, at least 67 families, line up one at a time and curse him out, say every damnation they can give him, angry, shout, wanting to rush at him. I mean, you can imagine what you would want to say to somebody if they took one of your loved ones in that kind of way. And the entire time, like you would expect a serial killer, stone face, no reaction, nothing, just like it's any other day. And then this older father, looked like Santa Claus, he had like rainbow suspenders and a big white beard. He got up and he says, sir, there are a lot of people in this room who wish very bad things on you. And I want you to know that I'm not one of them. He said, God has forgiven me. And sir, I am here today to tell you that you are forgiven. And in that instance, he just broke and began to weep because the power of forgiveness is stronger than the power of hate and bitterness. And I'm not even saying he did it so that he can leave a serial killer off the hook. I believe out of all the people in that room that walked away that day, that father had the most peace. It's horrible what happened to him, incredibly tragic. I would, nothing I would ever want anybody to ever have to go through. But the reality is we live in a sinful world where people have free will and sometimes their free will is gonna affect us. And ultimately, God will always have the final say. God will always have the final call. But for me, I got one life on this earth to live and I don't wanna live it bitterly, angrily, and sad. I wanna experience the freedom that God has given me. And the truth is, I need to do that with my whole heart and I need God's help. Matthew 18, 35, to wrap up the story. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother and sister from your heart. Forgiveness must be rooted in the heart because that's where bitterness and unforgiveness live. Forgiveness has to be done with sincerity, not just with words, not even just with actions because at the end of the day, it's about the inner you.
and it's about setting free what's been trapped for so long. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we close. And I need you to understand forgiveness in many occasions is the first step towards freedom. It's the unlocking of the cage. So I'm not saying that everything is going to be wiped away in this moment. You might, you might need therapy, and that's okay. Someone who's professional to walk you through some deep-seated trauma that you've experienced, and that's totally great. My wife's a licensed counselor. Like, I believe in that stuff. Just get a godly one, someone that's going to walk you through good things. You might need a pastor to just be an ear and, and to help guide you spiritually. You might need a friend, someone in this room, to cry to and to hug, and, and that's fine. That's, a, that's why we have the church. But until God helps you unlock that bitterness, that anger, that unforgiveness, you'll be in that cage your whole life. Just like that man who refused to forgive his brother was locked away, you will forever be locked away in your own cage of unforgiveness. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your head for just a moment, close your eyes. I'm not gonna have you come to the altar or anything like that, it's between you and God. But man, I wanna pray for you to help you get that first step. If you're here and you say, Pastor, there's somebody, there's some people in my life. They've been living rent-free in my head for years, for a long time. And today I need to let that go. Today I want to ask God to unlock that gate and to let me walk in his freedom. To give them the same mercy that's been given to me. It might be a parent. It might be a spouse, it might be one of your own children, it might be a family member, a sister, a brother, a friend, someone you trusted with everything. I believe God's gonna give you the strength today to unlock that door. All I'm asking is would you lift up your hand so I can agree with you in prayer? If that's you and you wanna let that go in Jesus' name. Come on, just keep that up, keep that up. Keep that up. I need you to know, there are so many hands lifted right now. You are not alone in this situation. And by God's grace, he's gonna open that door for you to walk in freedom. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every hand that's raised because it signifies trust that they have in you, not in me, not in the circumstance, not in the situation, but the trust and the faith that they have in you. So Lord, we just ask by the power of your holy name, would you give us the freedom and the ability to forgive and to let go what's been done to us. God, we're not justifying what they did. We're not saying that it was okay, but God, we're saying we will no longer let it take hold of our life. We will no longer allow that to be the master of us, Lord. We have given our life to you. You are king. You are the one who set us free. So Jesus, I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that only your Holy Spirit could do. Would you set them free now in Jesus' mighty name? Would you give them the ability to let go and let God, to trust you, Lord, that you will take your course, that you will avenge, that you will watch out for them, that you will walk them through those next steps. Jesus, I pray in your mighty name, would you take them from being on the forefront of their mind. No longer, God, will they sleep and dream of that situation. No longer, Lord, will they dwell on it. No longer will it take root of who they are, God. Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit, would you wash them clean in this moment right now, God, as they confess their faith, as they humbly stand before you, the same way that servant was forgiven an insurmountable debt. May we have such gratitude in our hearts that 
We pity those who hurt us and we offer them the same forgiveness. And Lord, even now, I pray for those individuals that hurt them. God, I pray that they would get the same conviction of the Holy Spirit would turn to you. God, I pray that they would make themselves right, that they would go to you and ask for forgiveness for what they've done, that they would have their hearts turned to you, almighty King. Lord, that you would deal with them because we're not gonna deal with it anymore. That's not our job. That's not our problem. We trust you and we love you, Lord, because we know you're not gonna leave us in this spot. But God, you will guide us in every step that's to come. Help us, Lord, as we heal from this wound and as we step into the freedom that you have given us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Here, let me give you this one thought. Come on, you can give God praise. Let me just remind you before you go. The Bible says that we walk in victory. So here's, here's the important thing, especially if you prayed that prayer. Now you gotta walk in it. The cage is open, but you gotta walk out. There may be some actions you need to do. You might even need to call that person or text that person and say, hey, listen, you may not even think about this. This may not be a big deal to you, but I want you to know I forgive you. God may prompt you, and I don't want you to do something that I said, which is why we're talking about praying in your time of fast, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do next? And whatever the Holy Spirit asks you to do, have the courage that the Holy Spirit will guide you to do it. And that'll be the next step of your healing. That'll be the next step of your freedom. But you got to trust God in that. Otherwise, the cage is open, but you're still locked in. Does that make sense? Man, God bless you. Walk in the freedom that God has given you and know that God will honor you for that. Amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you on Wednesday.